There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I'm going to be addressing a very important issue on this episode of Revealing the True Light. Let me start by asking two questions. Is there a difference between New Age affirmations and biblically-based confessions of faith? The answer is absolutely. Yes, there is a difference. Question number two, is it easy to tell the difference between those two practices? The answer is absolutely not because you have to have a very refined level of discernment in order to understand the subtle nuances of meaning in the words, phrases, and concepts that are used in both camps. And those who are not as discerning tend to mix the two together, unfortunately. Understandably, because of this, many Christians, out of concern that they are dabbling in New Age spirituality, throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater and reject the powerful concept of confessing God's promises and claiming their manifestation. Well, my hope and my prayer, my sincere prayer, is that this podcast episode will bring balance and clarity to this controversial and exceptionally important issue. I have nine points that I want to make, and I'm going to make each one as concise as possible so that we can get through this teaching in a sensible amount of time. Number one, there is actual power in the practice of making positive affirmations. Yes, I said that. There is power in maintaining an optimistic mindset. People who are optimistic tend to get positive results in life. People who are pessimistic tend to get negative results in life. They become their own worst enemies by talking themselves down and degrading themselves in their own thoughts and speech, confessing inadequacy, confessing the impossibility of their situation, and they end up digging a grave for their own ideas. People who reach for goals by speaking positive affirmations, on the other hand, do get results undeniably. However, it is not the quote-unquote universe that grants them those results. It's just the simple power of being focused on certain goals and generating positive thoughts, plans, and efforts those directions. Persons who match their positive attitude to positive actions like this tend to be more determined and tenacious about reaching their goals. Bingo! So what could be wrong with that practice? Well, number two, 
expresses one side of it. When it comes to acquiring certain material things, job positions, or even changing the mind or heart of other human beings, the practice of New Age positive affirmations can either border on or actually enter the realm of witchcraft because witchcraft is the attempted implementation of illegitimate spiritual authority to supernaturally change circumstances or people. Sometimes positive confession is benign. It doesn't even venture over into that territory. But at other times, it can involve some very dark behavior patterns. For instance, if three or four people are vying for a certain position in a company, what if all of them tried to use quote-unquote positive confession to obtain that position? Then they would be trying to overthrow the desire or will of the other people involved by supernatural force and power attached to their words. Thus, it becomes a form of witchcraft, even if no potions or spells are used. It depends a lot on the attitude and the exact way that the persons involved use these methods. Number three, success is impossible in life without this next factor in place. To make statements like, I am successful, or I am confident, or I am strong mentally and emotionally. These are not necessarily wrong within themselves. They can move a person from negativity to positivity to a certain limited degree, which can bring greater success and prosperity in life, sure. However, if the person saying those things is in blatant rebellion against God, rejecting the Bible, ignoring moral principles, and walking contrary to God's word, positive affirmations may appear to bring a few positive changes, but in the end, they will not change the dark cloud that is hovering over that person's life or the consequences of their sin unfolding. So many contributing factors have to be considered. Words are not powerful unless the basis and the foundation of what is said is correct. Number four, we need to understand that there are three levels of creativity. You often hear New Age teachers talking about awakened individuals creating their own reality, that you create your own reality. I create my own reality. Now, first of all, that idea is based on the concept that truth is subjective. And you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can both be right simultaneously. That's absolutely false. Truth is objectively the same for everyone. And you can't just create a belief system and it's true for you. However, there is some truth. There is a certain element of truth to the idea of creating your own reality. Now, don't put the brakes on yet. I am going to explain this thoroughly, and you'll see why I said what I just said. Let me show you the three levels of creativity that human beings can possibly function on. And the first two can actually function 
without God's personal involvement. Of course, we need to understand that God has created all people with creative capacity on these three levels, so he is indirectly involved in the first two areas. Strangely, he's even indirectly involved with those who in their lives are pitted against him. What a merciful God he is to allow them to participate in creativity even when they are pitted against the creator. We are triune beings, right? We are made up of body, soul, and spirit. And creativity lodges in each one of those parts of our being. In your physical body, you have procreative powers. Now, very wicked people can have children. And so once again, God's not personally involved necessarily in the conception of that child, except for the fact that the soul comes from God and he grants human beings and animals the power to procreate. So he's indirectly involved but he doesn't dictate when those people are going to have children that are even walking opposite to his will. So you see there's a certain amount of creativity in just our physical bodies. Then you have the human soul. The soul is made up of mind and will and emotions. Now again, even if a person is not yielded to the truth, That person does not acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their lives. They have mind that can conceive ideas, a will that can tenaciously follow through on those ideas, and emotions that they can control so that they do not get discouraged, but instead they encourage themselves to keep pursuing that idea. And even godless people that have no thought about being religious or spiritual build huge corporations, or invent the most amazing things because they tap into this creativity that's inside of them. Artists and musicians do the same thing. So there is a soulish level of creativity uh, that can be responsive to a person's positive mindset and positive affirmations. That's why some people do see a semblance of success by implementing this principle, but it doesn't bring complete success in life. However, there are enough evidences of it working that they think they've embraced a truth that will carry them all the way through life successfully and prosper them in every way. But that's not true. There's another part of the human makeup called the spirit that prior to being born again, prior to salvation, is dead in trespasses and sins. It's, for the most part, dysfunctional or really non-functional because there are three functions of the human spirit. Number one is communion with God. Number two is revelation from God. And number three is conscience. Now, in a person who has not yet been regenerated by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, they have not yet been begotten of the Word and born of the Spirit, there's a barrier between them and God. So the creativity of the human spirit is squelched. It's under the dominion of darkness. It's it's like a barely burning ember that's almost about to go out. The only functional thing 
is the conscience. And so the real power of positive confession cannot connect with the divine source because there's no salvation experienced yet. Number five, the new age basis of making positive affirmations is a totally erroneous idea that we are all God. That's based on pantheism. And not all New Agers, not all Hindus believe in pantheism, but many do. And that's the idea that the universe was not a creation of God, but an emanation out of the Godhead. And therefore, everything has a divine essence. You are God. I am God. That's the belief. That's the belief. And so because you are divine, once you recognize your own divinity, you can speak and it's divine power manifesting and flowing through you. Well, that's a complete error. I'm not God. I never will be God. You are not God. You never will be God. We are creations of God, but not manifestations of God. We have been created by God, but we are not manifestations of God. And so the very basis of belief is wrong. It was popularized years ago in a book and a video called The Secret that was put out by Rhonda Burns. It popularized the idea that whatever you think, if you harbor that thought long enough and strong enough and confess it often enough and with enough expectation, it will become a reality. But again, that was based on the idea, plainly spoken in the book, that individuals implementing this approach are God. You are God, so you can create your own reality. And besides, you need to see that she got that concept from a woman named Esther Hicks, who channeled, did you hear me? She channeled that revelation through yielding to a multi-personality spirit called Abraham. Well, that was nothing more than a demon that she was possessed by. And in the secret, God is generically termed, quote unquote, the universe, and compared to a genie that grants a person's wishes. Well, in mythology, a genie is subject to the one who controls it. And so the implication there is that God or the power of the universe is controlled by those who know how to generate enough positive thoughts and positive confessions. So that relegates God to an inferior position and exalts human beings to a superior position. The guru I studied under said that. I heard him with my own ears say that man is greater than God because we can control the power of God by the mantras we chant and the words we say. That's a complete untruth. That's a complete falsehood. On the other hand, Christians who make positive confessions are not declaring that, quote-unquote, we are God. We would never make the assertion that we are God's small letter G if we really understand what Jesus talked about when he quoted that passage from Psalm 82. In fact, I have an article on the truelight.net about that. What did Jesus mean when he said, ye are gods? And it's totally opposite from what some people have interpreted. 
But when Christians make a positive confession, they're not trying to assume the position of God. They're not pushing God out of his enthroned position of authority, but rather they are trying to come into alignment with God by speaking what he has already declared his will to be. There is a huge difference in the two approaches. Now, number seven, let me pursue that a little bit more because Christian-based, biblically-based, positive confessions declaring the promises of God's word are based on dependency on God and not on self. Those who do it are depending on God to bring these things to pass, not on you and I created our own reality. Also, we realize it hinges on our submission to the authority of God. The scripture says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So everything hinges on whether or not we're truly under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's also based on the revelation of the word of God and faith in the word of God. So that our confession of faith is not independent of God's word, but rather we realize it must be in total agreement with God's word. And that's what makes it powerful. We are co-workers with God. We are participating with God. We are offering our mouths to speak words of faith that are in alignment with what God himself has spoken. Let me give you an example with Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 10. In that passage of scripture, it talks about the word of faith. And it says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Wow, that is absolutely powerful that you can be the most corrupt sinner demonized, overwhelmed with evil and wickedness from your past, and you can embrace the word of God, you can hear a convicting message, repent of your sins, surrender to the lordship of Jesus, confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, and suddenly you get resurrected from the grip of sin and darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. How powerful is that? And it all hinged on one positive confession coming out of your mouth that was not independent of God's word, but in alignment with God's word. You didn't make that salvation happen. God made it happen when your words and his words became one. So important to see it this way. Positive confession, well, you can see it all through the Bible. Psalm 27, listen to what David said. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, some people would make you think, some believers, some Christian believers would make you think that if you're going to approach this right, you've got to use a humble kind of squeamish, pleading, and begging, oh God, please be my light, and oh God, please be my salvation. My enemies are many. God doesn't want you to approach life that way. You fight 
the good fight of faith. And that means taking hold of the word and saying not, oh, I hope God is my salvation, but the Lord is my light and my salvation. I hope God delivers me from darkness. No, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So if it wasn't wrong for David, it's not wrong for you. What about Joel chapter 3, verse 10? Let the weak say, I am strong. That sounds contradictory, but it's a way of showing the power of overruling your own negative emotions and emerging strong, even though you feel emotionally and mentally weak. And I know that passage was primarily speaking to soldiers that were going out on a battlefield, but I believe it also can apply to our lives in all of our battlefields. And besides, what about these scriptures I'm about to quote? And I'm on number seven of my nine points I wanted to make. Listen to these scriptures. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and they're the key phrases, abide, which means to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, surrender to him and abiding in him by walking a Christian walk, walking in the light, walking in truth, walking in love. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But the thing is, if you abide in him, his desire becomes your desire. You're not going to indiscriminately ask for things that feed your lusts. You're going to be yielded to the will of God. And so there again, that marriage of your will with God's will is so important. But Jesus was very bold in saying this. Listen closely now. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, he never would have said that if he didn't want his followers to be bold in the way they prayed. If you want the kind of results Jesus got, if you want the kind of results Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles got, you need to use their methods. And when Peter saw the cripple at the gate beautiful, he didn't fall to his knees and begin pleading and begging and weeping and saying, oh God, please help this man. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man went leaping and jumping and praising God. That was not wrong for him to use such positive faith in the declaration that he made. And it wouldn't be wrong for you either. What about Hebrews 10, 23? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. The confession of our hope is in another translation. For he is faithful that promised. So the profession of your faith, the confession of your hope is the declaration of the word of God. And sometimes you've got to say it with force and fervor. When Jesus faced off with Satan, he didn't depend on his own emotions and he didn't beg the father to help him. Over and over, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he overcame by the declaration, by the confession of the word of God. It still works. Jesus was our prototype. He showed us how to do it. Not only do we base our confession of faith, though, on the written word, at times, we may need to base it on the living word, God's personal communications to us. I know when the doctor told my wife and I 
that we should abort our baby girl. We got up intending to leave his office and never come back. The doctor had told us that she would be crippled and retarded to such degree she would never be able to speak or walk. But when we walked out of his office, God spoke to my wife and said, your daughter will dance on the streets of Jerusalem. She heard his audible voice. Now that was in alignment with the word of God that says, I am the Lord God who heals you, Exodus 15, 26, and other passages of scripture. But we fought the good fight of faith with that prophetic word that came to us. And that's what 1 Timothy 1.18 says we have to do. Paul wrote Timothy and said, this charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before about you in order that you might war a good warfare by them. Sometimes your positive confession hinges on the written word. Sometimes your positive confession must hinge on the living word. And the living word and the written word are like two rails of a railroad track that have to be parallel to each other or that train's going to derail. And in like manner, the living word, the rhema word of God, has to be parallel to the logos. It never veers from the written word of God, or you're going to have a derailed Christian who believed a lie. Well, I've got two more points. I'll get to them real quickly. People who fear admitting the negative sometimes go overboard with positive confession. But I don't believe there's a weakening of your faith by admitting the opposition to your faith. Uh, For instance, if you tell a friend, I am really sick this week. I have such a head cold. But then you follow it up by saying, but I believe with his stripes I was healed, 1 Peter 2.24. You're not canceling the effectiveness of your faith by admitting the problem that must be removed. And some people go so much into hyper-confession beliefs that they won't even admit the negative aspect. Well, the positive doesn't lose its power when you admit the negative, but you overcome it in Jesus' name. Finally, number nine, the extremely important factor for a Christian is the will of God. Now, you can confess prosperity and wealth and riches, but what if it's the will of God for you to sacrifice all of that and go work on a mission field where you live in a state of destitution financially and materially. I did that at the beginning of my ministry. I followed the will of God, and I had nothing in the first couple of years. But God took care of me, but I followed the will of God, and it did not take me into material prosperity. I had to walk a road of sacrifice for a season. So the big factor for a Christian is your positive confession also must align with the personal expression of the will of God for your life. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't say, I confess that I will avoid the cross. No, he said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And he knew it was going to include tremendous suffering. And so There's so many different factors that have to enter into this picture. And what we do as Christians is so different 
than what a new ager does. Don't become a person who accepts suffering, who accepts demonic attacks on your life, who accepts all these negative things that happen in life without resisting them by faith, thinking that you just want to approach God with a pleading attitude. That's not a mature level of faith. And God wants you to move up to a level of maturity where you speak in power and authority. He said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, or let him speak as if God himself is speaking out of him. You can only do that if you're surrendered to the authority of God, and if you're walking in his will and sensitivity to his word, his living word and his written word. Well, I think we've covered some very important territory. I hope this has been a help and a blessing to you. Ponder it. Study. Go to the scriptures I mentioned and pursue it even deeper until you get a firm grip on this concept. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.